You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. So I have a question for you if you're listening to the podcast. Have you ever gone through and made a conscious decision to buy a brand because of their position on a social issue or decided to not buy brand based on their position on a social issue? And so this is something that companies have to deal with all the time. They have to decide how they're going to take a position on a certain issue or if they're going to take a position at all. And so that's what we talked about today. I talked with Jim Terry, who is with TDS Public Affairs. He's a strategic communications expert. We got into all kinds of decision-making that companies have to deal with. And I think it relates to how we have to decide to deal with issues ourselves. So I, I learned a lot. I know you will too. I'm Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. We, we finally we finally get to meet after uh, several times of trying to get this together. So I'm glad we got to connect. I, I tell you, I'm the guy who never gets sick. I blame the Petri dishes that I live with. <laughs> well, good. I'm, I'm glad we're together. But I wanted to hear from you what you're doing as you help companies craft their communications. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're storytellers um, and we'll help our clients tell their story. You know, sometimes uh, that's a story of what they didn't do or, you know, a story they're trying to avoid. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, the story of what they're doing and they want to, you know, want to proactively put it out there. But, you know, very often people's stories are most interesting to themselves and are not necessarily newsworthy <laughs> or interesting for another audience. And I so, get that a lot. Well, I'll start telling yeah. a story. You know, somebody says, hey, that's not, you know, that's not interesting. <laughs> it, it, well, you know, it, it turns out the desire to be in the media isn't by itself a qualifier. For sure. You know, so what we'll do is we'll we'll work with people to have develop initiatives that take their story and kind of are filtered around their story or become a vehicle to make what they're doing more newsworthy and get them into the get them into the news cycle and, and sort of tell their stories. So it's part of it is, you know, developing, you know, the right messaging and saying the right things or avoiding saying the wrong things. Um, some of it is crisis communications. Um, just, you know, the number one rule of which the, the main thing you need to know about crisis communications is stop talking. And, um, you know, sometimes it's it's more you know, sort of involved, it's more strategic in nature of, you know, if let's go and sort of execute this, take this program and execute this program and then promote that into the public yeah, discourse. I, you know, I, I think knowing when to shut up is uh, is key. Like, you know, on, well, the, on those crisis communication, you, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is do nothing. You, you mentioned one of the things that you, you said kind of early on, you said, Sometimes the story is what they didn't do. What do you What do you mean by that? Well, it's uh, you know you're being accused of something, or you're being oh, okay. um, you're being attacked in some way, or you know you have a you know what's what's really sort of in vogue now is you know you have an employee who has their interpretation of what happened, and they go and put it on social media, and then a reporter picks that up and. You know, it that their interpretation happens to fit with the dominant narratives and that are popular and make for good copy for reporters. They just don't happen to be true. And, uh, you know, navigating those kinds of situations. Well, is it better to just say, hey, that 
you know, that's a pack of lies or that, you know, that didn't happen or, or what do you, uh, how do you approach it? It depends. You know, it's, it, it all, it all depends on the situation. Um, you know, a lot of times it's going to be, you know, I, I guess it's a question of, of how far off of their interpretation they are there, because, you know, sometimes you have that individual's interpretation of what happened, but yet the facts, the underlying facts may still be problematic for you as well. Even if that interpretation is wrong, you can still be in trouble. And so it, yeah. it, it's really, okay. situ it's really situational. Uh, I think that's the art form of knowing when to speak and knowing when to, you know, when to, when to stop talking. Uh, that, that's, you know, one of the age, you know, time-tested reporter tricks is they'll just stop talking and, and let all of this dead silence, you know, hang out there. And human instinct is to try and fill that silence. And so then you'll just start, you'll start talking and, and say all kinds of things that you may have regretted, uh, wish you hadn't. What are, what are some of the things that you're seeing that companies are getting accused of that they're having the, the most difficult time deciding how to respond to? Well, you know, I think just broadly, um, it, it's, it's very uh, geographic. You know, it depends on where you're at. You're going to have various pieces or various sides of the culture wars. It's, you know, I think it's increasingly difficult for for businesses to stay out or above of that because you've kind of graduated, you know, several generations of college students who have been sort of led to believe that it is their business's obligation or their CEO or their executives or their company's obligations to to be on the political field and engaging in these culture wars. Uh, so you get a lot of pressure, you know, in, in, from that direction. Uh, but the other, the other thing that I think, you know, particularly smaller, you know, companies may not kind of realize is that every single decision you make in your business is in some way a communications decision because all your employees have Twitter and camera phones in their pockets and, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and so e every decision you make, every policy you institute, uh, you should be thinking in the back of your mind that this is going to be public. And if you don't feel like you have a, a solid footing, then you, you may want to reconsider those policies. And so I think a lot of people find themselves unexpectedly in the middle of a story uh, that they you know never sought out and just didn't see coming. I've noticed that the decision to, as you were talking about, take a stance or not take a stance on current political issues, uh, hot topics, things like that, has really changed recently. It, it seems like in the last five years for me. It, it, it seems like even 10 years ago, a lot of companies remained silent on, on issues that normally would have, you know, that now they would be expected to, to speak on. So, for example, um, gosh, it, all right. So, the, the, take the not the my pillow guy. Okay, so he's selling yeah. pillows, and uh, by all accounts, I guess these are fine pillows. And he decides to take a position on uh, election fraud in in 2020. The Trump, he's going to take a hardline position on on this, and he's just getting blasted for it. And I'm looking at this, I'm going, dude, you know, you had a good life selling your, your pillows. What are, what are you doing here? You know, and, and there, there's lots of examples like that of companies, you know, another one, maybe Chick-fil-A took a position on same-sex marriage and, you know, they're, they're selling chicken sandwiches. What are you doing taking a position so hardline on that? Um, 
and I, and I think in the past, companies have been sort of relegated to taking positions on issues that directly impacted their business. So if, you know, if you're Chick-fil-A, you, you might speak out on the yeah. FDA rules or well, and those are, those chickens are, or something, you know, but. And those are two very, very different cases, you know, in the sense yep. that, you know, my, my pillow guy, because, you, you know, very often these, these companies find themselves pushed into, into engaging, mm -hmm. um, you know, Disney is a per perfect example of that. Disney stayed out and then the media and everybody started attacking them for staying out and then they got in and, yeah, and, yeah. Know, I mean, they, they are, they they are where they a are. position on the, the parental rights and education bill in Florida. And I was like, you know, yeah. what you, you know make your, make your movies. But, what are you doing? Yeah. But, uh, you know, my, my pillow, he, this was, you know, something that was, you know, very obviously personal and, and he felt very strongly about it personally. He, nobody made him do that. Um, and then, and then he had kind of the, you know, and I think his, his problem wasn't just that he engaged, but, you know, once he engaged and he made, you know, all of kind of the big drama about, I've got all of this information and I got all this evidence and held a big, you know, big dramatic, you know, no, moment he, he to reveal into this evidence and then yeah. didn't deliver. You know, no. who knows? He may have been he may be a king and not a goat if he delivered the delivered the goods. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and Chick-fil-A, I think, is a different story where I don't think they proactively went out and, you know, took this sort of public stand as much as people looked at some of the giving and some of the uh, activities of individuals associated with it and then extrapolated right. that and assigned that as a position to Chick-fil-A and launched it. But, you know, Chick-fil-A just. You know, it was just some uh, some numbers came out. They're still, you know, they have been untouched by kind of all of that. And I think that's an important element of it where when, no, when you didn't. have kind of outside actors, you have outside actors who are making assertions and trying to assign things to you that you're not actually doing. That's going to have a very different impact than, say, my pillow, where you're actually doing this stuff. No, I, I think that's for sure. You know, and I, and I think you're right is that uh, Chick-fil-A got sort of painted with a, with this issue. Um, God, you know, I don't care. I mean, Chick-fil-A could come out against me personally and I'd still eat there. I mean, I don't care what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good chicken. Good chicken is good chicken, man. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to find. So, you know, I don't, I don't care what their <laughs> positions are. I'll be good Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but I think, I think Disney got some blowback on that. What, what do you think was the calculus in that decision to step into an issue that does not really have anything to do with filmmaking or entertainment at their parks. Well, you know, at the beginning, Disney, you know, remained silent on it. And then what you saw was a uh, pretty powerful set of activists who are, have very close relationships with, with the media. And if you, you kind of go back to the very beginning of that, you'll find dozens of headlines where these reporters were, you know, sort of openly attacking and goading Dick's Disney for, for not engaging on, on this issue. And it kind of right. spiraled and right. spiraled. And then they kind of reacted. Um, and because they were reacting late, they've got to kind of make up for lost ground. And they sort of doubled down and went in, went in over, over, over the top. And, you know, Disney is, is probably the most interesting case because from a, you know, while smaller businesses pay penalties and, you know, they get crossways or whatever, these, these big behemoths, you know, have the capacity to absorb a lot and still be fine. 
but Disney has has definitely felt the consequences of this, and they were the first instance where most of these big businesses were, you know, when put in that position, it was all upside profit for them to capitulate and go with that kind of more leftist, you know, philosophy on these policies. Uh, Disney is the first one that's now got a lot of CEOs recognizing that, hang on a minute, even though we're big, there's a price to be paid here. And maybe we want to rethink this because Disney's not done. You know, the where they law, whatever, you know, DeSantis and, and the legislature took away their their tax giveaways, their kind of their government giveaways and all the sweet, the sweet, uh, sweetie pies that they had down there. Uh, yeah, that's going to bomb. But, you know, patents, trademarks, that stuff doesn't last forever. And Mickey Mouse and all that stuff is old, been around since the 60s. And the only reason they still control it is because Congress has routinely passed extensions of those intellectually property, intellectual property rights for them. Well, that extension is due next year. So a new Congress that may be Republican and mm-hmm. may be more in agreement with Ron DeSantis over Disney than perhaps others, all they need to do is don't, don't, don't renew that. And it's and it's estimated to cost Disney another billion dollars, billion with a big B. Um, and so I think the, the moral of all of that is something we talk about a lot is, you know, no, you know, know why you're getting in and count the cost. And you, you have to make a decision. Are you do you want your business to be about business or do you feel so strongly and so fervently about an issue that you're willing to put your brand on the line and you're willing to eat the cost and the consequences and whatever comes with that because you feel like this is your your duty and this is this is the right thing to do. But I think so many people get kind of caught up in their Twitter feeds and you know kind of the the emotions of the moment and they kind of rush in and then ultimately find themselves you know in a bad place or even worse they get bullied into doing something they don't want, really want to do and they find themselves not in control of where, where they're headed. So, you know, I, I think the decision there is interesting, you know, on when to speak out, when to shut up. And, you know, you, you get pushed into some issues and you feel like you have to, you know, take a position and maybe you don't, maybe you can just be silent. But I, I think there's been a trend to say, hey, we you need to take a position on this, right? It, you know, you, you take, for example, um, Black Lives Matter, there was a lot of pressure on companies that remaining neutral was was not acceptable. Okay, right. And so there there are more of the. That's just an example of one. But I think there probably be more where there is. It's going to be incumbent on somebody to take a position on something. So my question is, how does a company decide? Not just you know which side of an issue to come down on, but whether to take a position at all. You know, there's there's the desire to express your values, be true to your your core, be true to your values, and, and know people what you know what you stand for. And yet, at the same time, if it's going to be damaging to your business, maybe your your best bet and your your best obligation to your shareholders is is to not wade in on something that that could blow back on. Yeah. Well, I, I think the better question is, is why does my brand need to weigh in? So if, if this is something that I hold personal belief on and I'm the CEO of Acme Corporation, why does Acme Corporation need to weigh in on that? And why can't, you know, Jim Terry CEO, you know, go out and fight for that cause? And I think the answer to that question a lot of times is businesses find themselves hostage to their workforce uh, to the extent that you have 
you know, 40,000 employees and, you know, 300, you know, 39,000 of them are clamoring for you to take a position, that's a problem for you. You don't necessarily have all of the options to just say, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this as an individual. Uh, but I do think there is, there is that, that's a, that's a question a lot of people are asking, you know, a lot of CEOs are asking themselves right now. Uh, because I mean, look, for most corporations, this is dollars and cents, and it has mm -hmm. been the equation up until now that the profit was in sort of capitulating to those demands and taking a uh, position on a certain side of it. And I think with Disney, there's now a, a sort of a cost has been revealed. Um, and as the country kind of moves and the public is reacting to all of this, this information they're taking in on the news and the latest scandal and, you know, the, it's a constantly kind of a moving target. And so I think, you know, what you see is, is a Netflix, a Netflix kind of, you know, is yeah. the, the sort of the next step in, in how they've chosen to deal with this. And, you know, they got under the gun with Dave Chappelle and all of that. And they were faced with a really, really, really big business choice. You know, they cut Chappelle loose. That's real money. And they ultimately decided yeah. not to. And what they have done is, you know, they, they've sort of uh, staked out and been very clear that says, hey, look, here's who we are and what we're going to be about. If you're not that, that's right. okay, but that this may not be the place for you because this is yeah, what Yeah, I thought that doing. was interesting. So, you know, they were getting some pressure from their employees uh, to take some action against Dave Chappelle based on some comments that they deemed were, were anti-trans uh, issues. And, uh, yeah, they, they stood up to their employees, uh, which is different from what a, a lot of companies had done previous on some of these other issues where they just capitulated and said, okay, we're going to... Uh, get rid of this person or get to disengage from this. Well, and it is. It's, it's a little bit like taxes, right? You know, when you talk about the hidden costs of taxes and you don't really know how much taxes, you know, are chewing up of, of, you know, of income or of, of revenue because it's so buried and hidden and you pay 5% here and 2% there. And, you know, and, and, and it's hard to kind of add it up and say, Hey, this is the, the impact. Uh, and I think a lot of times with, with businesses, that's, that's the way it is. Whatever impact there is of taking these positions kind of gets amortized and spread out. And maybe it shows up in Q3 and, you know, you don't, it, it's not quite so discernible. With Netflix, they were faced with a big hit immediately. And it was very apparent, like whatever revenue they're going to lose and whatever they're going to have to pay out to Chappelle. It was a big number and it was very visible and it was right in front of them. So it was a very clear contrast for them. This versus this go with what these guys are telling us or take, you know, eat this cost. And so it, I think they had the the benefit of a lot more clarity of, you know, what the costs were going to be of, of capitulating to the to their employees demands. And so, well, I, yeah, it, I think the financial clarity was certainly there as opposed to perhaps the, the financial clarity, an example like uh, like Disney. For example, right. Uh, right. Certainly, the, the calculus on decision making was easier for Netflix than it was for uh, it, it, for Disney. And it's also it's also more you know when you think about what the employees were sort of demanding, it also is a is a unique beast for 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 Netflix because if you are a creative company and you make content and movies and art. And, you know, an art is, you know, beauty in yeah. the eye, the beholder and all this stuff. And if you start kind of succumbing to these boxes, you're not only, you know, taking whatever financial hit over over the Dave Chappelle thing, you're constraining your ability to do what you do. Because where does that stop if you're a yeah, content creator? I, I and that's, that's kind of yeah, that dangerous. Of, yeah. And that's kind for, of what for, they ultimately decided. 
is, yeah. look, we're a content creator. Here, there are some limits on what we're willing to do, but these ain't it. And here, here here's where we're at. And I think what they've done is what what we've advised a lot of a lot of different companies on you know on, on doing is you have to decide what values you're going to stand on because in these moments, what it is is you have a group of people who are trying to say these are the standards that you should be held to, and you've run afoul of them, so therefore you should do whatever. And the question is, is do you as a company, do you as an individual, as a leader in that company, accept those standards? If you don't accept those standards, then what are your standards? And so you have to know kind of what your standards are, believe those standards are acceptable, believe those standards are right, and then be unyielding on them. And that's what you see. I think you've seen Netflix ultimately come around to is here's our standards. We think those standards are acceptable. We believe those standards are appropriate and right. And we're standing on those standards. And if you're not down with it, then this may not be the place for you, but we, we wish you the best of luck. And so it's about right. kind of, are you deciding your standards and your values? Are you allowing someone else to assign them and hold you to their uh, to their standards? Because then it becomes sort of a never ending, you know, extortionate kind of a relationship. Sure. And, and I think you can make the case that there's a shorter line to the business revenue and the business uh, creation and product on the Netflix example that they can't allow uh, employees to be dictating uh, creative content uh, as opposed to an example like the My Pillow guy that you know election issues to have nothing to do with selling uh, pillows and slippers. Right. For, for yeah, you know, and and you know, and he, you know, he ultimately, I don't know what went, you know, behind Walmart's decision to cut him loose. Um, you know, one can can guess, but they was it was never really kind of something Walmart, I think, smartly never really got into and talked about. It was a business decision. We're no longer doing doing business with that guy. Well, they, they may be better um, off not explaining it, you know, to just shut up and go, yeah, we're 100%. just not going to do it anymore without well, they, they they, come out with a big statement. You know, I don't without, I think there were some other retailers that made the same decision, but uh, without a doubt, they were 100 percent, you know, pitch perfect in not engaging that conversation because there's no, you know, but that, that, that gets into back into the question of why are you doing this now, if you're a company that has made that decision because you really want to signal to the audiences that you're virtuous mm -hmm. and, and we're taking a stand against this nonsense and blah, blah, blah. Then you engage that uh, because that's what you're out to get. If you, sure, this you is a it. business decision and you want to cut your losses and get, you know, get separated from this guy, but you don't want to dwell and live in this moment, you cut him loose. It's a business decision. That's all we have to say about it. Next question. Well, I think there's another example. When you, when you think about the position that, Nike took on Colin Kaepernick a few years ago on you know kneeling during, during the national anthem, and you know they really leaned into the support for him. Uh, and my guess is that the calculus was that hey, this is going to really rub some people the wrong way. Some people are really going to like what we're doing. And my guess is because Nike's not a stupid company that they had done the calculation to say the people that this is going to alienate are likely not our primary target market anyway. And that if we're running against the values of these people who are not our target market, the drop in revenue from that is going to be minimal to the gain in revenue that people who are aligned with our values that we're going to see increase in revenue from. I'm guessing that that was the calculus they had to do. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I, you would uh, you would assume that you know there's there's all sorts of smart arithmetic that goes into making these decisions, uh, and I think sometimes there, there 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 probably is. I also think that it's a strength of brand issue. You know, if you're Nike and you know the you know kids who buy your shoes, how much do they really care one way or the other about this? You know, they still want the latest, hippest, coolest shoes, and mommy's still going to buy them for them. And you know, there you know, I think there are certain you know risk calculations that would would you know would go into that. Um, but you know, I, I also think that it's you know there are different you know different issues to sort of in, engage on. Um, and people will, you know, uh, perhaps for a time, maybe pass on the next pair of shoes, but they'll be back to your Nikes. And, and that's really the model that, that has kind of, I think, encouraged a lot more businesses to, to, go, to go this way. Uh, but then you have other instances like, uh, you know, what was it um, back, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago, you have DuckDuckGo, the CEO, come out with a long sort of set of tweets uh, around you know how they're 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 censoring COVID misinformation, and I mean, and that dude just got absolutely blown up. Like when your brand <laughs> is that we are, yeah, we, you know, I mean, he got blown up. I mean, he was ratioed on Twitter, and it was just, I mean, you know, he was ended up kind of having to backtrack on it. But you know, he came out with all of this sort of moral you know, vim and vigor of, by God, you know, the COVID misinformation and we're, we're down, you know, down ranking results. Basically he says they're manipulating the results away from information they deemed to be, you know, misinformation around, I think it was Ukraine or COVID. I forget which one it was, maybe in Ukraine, uh, but he was all filled with moral righteousness and he rolled that out. And then the reality is like, dude, like your whole house of cards is built on being like, not Google on being not that guy on being this, this Uber privacy freedom oriented search engine. And, you know, when you, you take a position like that, that is so at odds with your whole brand, you're in a very different category of, of, um, you know, very different kettle of fish than say like a Nike picking up for, for so what, what was the blowback on, on that guy? Uh, well, the okay. fact that the, the fact that the whole brand was supposedly committed to your privacy and accuracy and we just do the results <laughs> and we're not manipulating the results like Google. And all of a sudden you went out in a series of tweets and told the world that was all BS. Uh, you were, know, you ended up you were manipulating kinda, the results. Yeah. That you, yeah. It's like, yeah, we're just like everybody else. And, Dumbass. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and what you've seen and what you've seen since then is one of, I think, the greatest creative concepts that's out there right now, which is DuckDuckGo. They they have an ad promoting DuckDuckGo, okay. which is uh, set to the theme of, uh, what was it, the old police song, Every Step You Take, Every okay, Breath You right. Take, I'll Be Watching You. And it's got a dude in a Google t-shirt overlooking everybody's shoulder the whole time. And I, you know, I don't know this for fact, but I have to believe that whatever they're spending on that ad campaign um, is in some way linked to this that series of tweets that just absolutely undermined the whole premise for their brand. Yeah, that sounds like just a stupid move. Well, so and we, it gets back to the question of why do you do things? Why? Yeah, and well, all these business owners asking yourself of why am I considering engaging this? Why does it need to be my brand? Why is it? Can't, why can't it be me? Why? Why am I willing to? Do I have I done the calculations? I think this makes dollars and cents. Do I not care what those calculations are? I just believe so fervently in it. You know, why are you engaging? And I think you know a lot of times people just 
get caught up in the emotion of the moment and don't don't go through this process. Well, you know, that, that goes back to the point is, is that my guess is that there was no calculation done in that. You know, he's just out there spouting off and, and had he stopped to think just a beat. Hey, do I really want to do this and make this statement flies in the face of the brand name I'm trying to create that he wouldn't have done it. And, and so isn't the better decision to just shut up in the better. Why is he on Twitter saying that stuff anyway? Right. Um, and uh, I, I, I personally, my theory, my theory is that these search engines and these tech as many sins as they probably are culpable of in the world of manipulating stuff and bias and politics. I think they are under immense pressure out of um, DOJ, State Department, out of, out of the out of government officials on on these issues on Ukraine because there's an immense amount of mm-hmm. of let's just say I don't want to call it propaganda. Let's just say there was a very uniformity uniform message being delivered on on Ukraine very early on, and that has to be enforced. Yeah. And I, and so I think there are you know I think. There are a lot of things probably behind the scenes, a lot of pressures that we're not privy to that people like that react to in which, you know, they kind of get pushed into into direction. Maybe he got caught up in it. Maybe, you know, who knows? Because uh, at the end of the day, you know, CEOs, all these people, they're just people. And, you know, we all have said and done things we wish we had back or a moment we wish we did, you know, a decision we wish we had back. And that's why I think it's important to have people around you and, you know, don't don't pick up your phone and go at it until you've had a conversation with, you know, with some objective people around you that are you know willing to kind of point out and ask the questions of what 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 is the objective of doing this? What do we hope to what what return do we hope to get on this? Because let me tell you what the potential costs are going to be. So when we look at companies that take a position on issues outside of their normal business activities, and so, you know, so when you look at uh, companies, you know, that to, to want to lobby the government for things inside their business arena. That's one thing. They're going outside their business arena on, on the current issue of the day. That's a different issue. The, the other thing I think is interesting is what if a company just really steps in it, right? You know, it's a, so it's a self-manufactured, self-imposed screw-up. Take, for example, um, Boy, a few years ago, Wells Fargo had some real issues where they were opening accounts um, inappropriately. And they they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. They got slapped. Uh, take uh, Harvey Weinstein, you know, clearly doing some some bad stuff. And so there, there's and there's lots of examples. Those are just top of my head ones. That here's here's a company or here's a person who's who's done something that they have shouldn't have, how do they form a communication strategy? What do they decide to come out and say mm-hmm. after that's happened? Well, I think, you know, in those, in those kinds of situations, the, the, the number one objective is to regain or to hold trust, particularly, you know, trust with reporters and trust with the public. And so, you know, a lot of the issues we've talked about have been, you know, in a lot of ways, high subjective of is, is this value right over that value? And I think this, you know, and some people will try to offer you a black and white in that. and that's, that's their job to try to force you into that binary. 
but it, it's a debatable and, and, you know, subjective kind of thing. When you're talking about violating laws, when you're talking about fraud and crime, it, it's a black and white thing. And, and, you know, as a, as an institution, you know, you need to retain um, or regain, you know, the trust in that situation. So for the first step is, is get all the facts, right? Understand everything and be very open about what you know. Here's what we know so far. Here's what we found out. We're engaging in this investigation. We're whatever. And whatever the outcome of that is, we were we we hold the highest standards and we're going to, you know, execute those high standards in this situation as well. Um, but then the follow through becomes, you know, to be actually walking that walk um, and to be very transparent in those moments. Once you're caught, you're caught. You're not going to, you know, trying to be sly and coy with a bunch of statements. All you're going to do is erode the trust and keep people digging and keep people aligning. Because what you want to try to do is pull everybody in into your world. And so that when you do speak, they, they, they trust the words coming out of your mouth because you're you're being transparent. You're being honest. You're being upfront. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, look, for big corporations that have lots of employees, employees do stupid stuff. And well, so yeah, it, I, it, I there is no there is no sure. sort of profit and pretending like that didn't happen when, when, you know, you've got, you're in court with evidence. Uh, right. It's about where right. do you go from here and how do you maintain trust? And you do that by being transparent and being, being the brand that you've told everybody you are, which is we're going to punish those guys. We're going to put um, systems in place so that doesn't happen again. This is why you can still trust us. So, you know, you take another example like uh, Volkswagen, was, you know, uh, adjusting emissions standard or emission uh, calculations during your testing clearly you know you you, you just fess up and go, hey you know we shouldn't have done it and we're not going to do it and we're sorry and here's our fine and you know uh, but i think you know you give some examples of in a big company maybe something's happening with employees that you don't have all the facts you, you don't know did did this really happen or not are you you're saying come out and just Say hey, you know we don't we don't know yet, but we're going to find out. Maybe. Yeah, I think it it you know it's situational, depends on the situation. But it, you know there there's nothing wrong with saying thank you for you know we're we're aware of this, and you know we're we're getting to the bottom of it, and we'll get back to you when we when we know more. Um, you know because a lot of times what's going on is you're not the only one doing an investigation. The public is, the employees are, people are sending information. <clears throat> this information is is coming <clears throat> one way or the other. And so you want to try to be, you know, you want to be at least as informed as everyone else is. Uh, and that and that's because that's the last thing you want to do is go out and make a statement based on, you know, incomplete information and and then have that being proven wrong. And even though you weren't trying to mislead, it sure looks like you were. Uh, you know, this is kind of the, the, the Uvalde thing with, uh, you know, Governor Abbott, where he was told mm -hmm. one thing. He went and said it from the podium. And the three days yeah. later, it was proven blatantly, blatantly false. And now he had to. He had to deal with that, and you know, I thought he dealt with it pretty, pretty straightforward. Which is, I was told this, I was, you know, misled. I apologize. I'm mad as hell, just like you. And you just, you know, you take it on. Um, but you know, in in that corporate setting, you know, it's it's really about kind of buying your yourself enough time to get all of the facts, and 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 sort of figure out what the next play. Because the last thing you want to do is be speaking on the record, you know, to the media and be be ill informed about what's going on in your own company. Okay. You know, in, in your world of, in looking at strategic communications, what are the, the most difficult decisions companies have to face or business owners have to face? 
Well, I think it's uh, you know something we've talked quite a, quite a bit about, which is you know when to speak and and when not to speak. Yeah. Um, but I also think you know in a in a world where you know everything is a communications decision, uh, you know navigating a crisis communications moment is is perhaps one of the the most difficult um, places that that, that that people find themselves because this is something that you know sort of sprung up. And, you, you know, this was going on in your company. You didn't know it. And what do we say when we talk? How do we, you know, how do we deal with this? Because even within the, the even within the realm of, you know, of the PR side, you still have labor laws to contend with, things you can say, things you can't say. There's a whole host of other stuff. And so, you know, what we recommend people do to make those moments easier or uh, more productive is prepare. You know, mm-hmm. who... You know, who is, you know, what is our plan in a, in a crisis situation? Who gets what information? Who speaks? You know, what is, you know, what are our information centers? Where would we get this information? And to have kind of, you know, a whole crisis communications plan uh, laid out so that you're not in that moment. You just hung up the phone and got news that this is going on going, now what? You have a, a, an infrastructure and a plan. Um, you have basic holding statements for this kind of thing in place. You have, uh, you what's know, a, a lot basic, of a lot what's of a basic holding tool. statement. What do you mean? Well, a basic holding statement would be something along the lines of we're aware, you know, we're we're aware of this incident. If, you know, we're working with with authorities to understand more about what's oh, going on. Okay. But our first priority is, you know, it's a generalized kind of, you know, because you know what you don't want to be in that in that situation when the reporter when the media are calling is to say the words no comment. Because no comment sounds like you're trying to hire something, you know, hide something. Sounds yeah. like you're, you know, part of the bad guys. You want to be an open, uh, but at the same time, so you, so you need to say something. But at the same time, you're still gathering facts. You don't want to say, uh, you don't want to say the wrong thing. And so having sort of those holding statements, having, you know, basic value statements about your business units, uh, building all of that kind of stuff out is that becomes the toolkit that you draw on. And I, that doesn't dictate anything. But it, it it gives you a toolkit to draw on in that moment when things are swirling and your you know answers are elusive. What's the biggest screw up you've seen a company do? Maybe you work. I don't know. I think we you just know the story. Well, if we've ever worked with them personally, we'll be under an NDA. So uh, <laughs> but, that's what I'm uh, saying. I'm not, I'm not asking you to reveal personal uh, information. Yeah, I, I look. I mean, I think we've covered a lot of the biggest yeah. uh, examples, and I, you know, if I, I wish I'd held my Duck Duck Go example because that, oh. that that would have been the perfect answer to that. That would have been the one. Uh, yeah, yeah that, I think that that would have been the one. I think that there's, uh, you know, and look, I, I'm not sure Disney's story is done done being written yet too. I think their yeah. next steps are is going to be interesting because. You know, Disney's is a very interesting place because you have this confluence. Because when we talk about like, you know, Wells Fargo, for instance, yeah. they're not yeah. just dealing with a customer market equation. These are entities that are highly regulated by by government entities. And all of a sudden, you're in the news for fraudulent accounts. I'm going to say your regulators have some questions, and so now you're in a whole other game. Um, you know, while you're trying to deal with your market and your customer base and your brand. You got, you know, men and women with with authority to make very real changes in your business, very real fines, very real rules and regulations. And and you're 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 into a really multidimensional chess game. And I think it's where Disney has found themselves a little bit, too, because they have all these inner, you know, their the, the extension of their intellectual property rights, the deal down in Florida with their, 
their tax, you know, breaks or whatever all they, you know, whatever all the, the goodies they had down there. Mm-hmm. And they find you find themselves in this sort of multi-dimensional game that's about more than just customers and and brand PR. And uh, you know, in that kind of a moment, you know, I think the the first tendency of people is to think they have a messaging problem and you know, and I think that in in the case like, you know, Disney where there is ongoing activity it, at some point, it becomes bigger than a messaging problem. It becomes a substance problem, and you have to start making some decisions. Are we going to continue down this path, and you know, and, and continue, uh, you know, taking the cost of that, or are we going to start making some adjustments more along the lines of what Netflix did? Yeah, Jim, how can people get uh, connected with you? Uh, TDS Public Affairs, Tango Delta Sierra, TDS Public Affairs dot com is the is the best way. We've got. Uh, information about kind of who we are and what we do there. There's some some contact forms and phone number on there. We're readily accessible through that through that platform. Perfect, Jim. I, I appreciate you talking with me and thanks for uh, sharing your wisdom and uh, helping people with some tough decisions they might have to make. <laughs> so, I, I thanks, Sean. It's, it's one uh, of those things. Hopefully, uh, uh, they don't have to make as tough decisions as we talked about today. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's a crazy world out there now. But you know, if you kind of know. Know who you are, know what your values are, know what your standards are, hold strong to those um, and be prepared um, for, you know, for whatever. And assume assume it's coming. Uh, it's uh, not not quite as scary as it seems, uh, but if you're ill prepared and you're letting other people dictate what your values are, then it can get ugly. For sure. My takeaway from the discussion with Jim Terry is really around in deciding to speak out around certain issues is understand your why. Why would you want to speak out on this? Is there a business purpose or is there a values-based purpose for speaking out and counting the cost of what we think is going to be the calculus of, of the cost of speaking out on a certain issue? But he also said something I thought was interesting. And that is that every decision you make, every policy you institute is a form of communication. With employees having Twitter and access to social media, everything is communication now. It didn't used to be that way. So those are my takeaways from the uh, great discussion with Jim. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.